Good morning, Liberty. Sure. That moment you realize that you should have printed your, your notes in a slightly bigger font, but we'll see. <laughs> so emotionally healthy spirituality, that's the topic of the series that we've been looking at over the last six or seven weeks or so. And uh, if, you've, if you've here for the first time today, it's a series that we've been interspersing with messages on the Psalms. So we've been looking at videos uh, in, in our church meetings every second week, and every second week diving into one of the Psalms, and, and that's been brought by various people in the congregation. And I think we're pretty close to the end of that series. So when I was prepping for this, uh, for this, for this preach today, I was thinking about emotionally healthy spirituality. The second I saw that title in the very first week of this course, I knew I was in big, big trouble. <laughs> in my mind, growing up, the adjective emotional is something to be avoided. It's something that isn't a positive description. Emotions were something to be buried and to be packed away, steered away from. You succeed despite your emotions. Ignore them. Get on with the job. I would much rather aim in my life for adjectives like rational, clinical, precise, efficient. <laughs> but that's not very well balanced. Okay. We all feel emotion. It was the way God made us, right? Scripture describes a variety of God's emotions, from love, joy, anger, sadness, even hate. We are, after all, created in God's image. Okay. It would make sense, then, that we experience the same. As troublesome as that is for me, I think the series has been very good in my life, and I've learned a couple of things about myself. All right. Firstly, in the very, very first episode we were watching, when um, Peter Scarezzo was describing his own battle to articulate emotions, it dawned on me. I quite possibly have the emotional dexterity of a five-year-old, okay? When he said that he struggled to articulate what he was feeling, he was struggling to identify it, he was struggling to deal with it, I could, I could identify with that. Emotions can leave me feeling disorientated, confused. The second thing I recognized or realized was that recognizing emotion... Seeing it, naming it, dealing with it is good, right? We can't ignore it. And the third thing, and possibly the most revealing to me and something that I want to look at today, is that how we respond to emotions, how we respond to the way that things are making us feel is important and possibly the most important thing of this whole journey. How we respond matters, and so I want to look at Psalm 111 today. I'm going to read it to you guys if you want to turn there in your Bibles. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And it goes like this. Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. 
He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. He gives food to those who fear him. He always remembers his covenant. He has shown his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. All he does is just and good. And his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true, to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name he is. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Praise the Lord. Have you noticed how praise is a consistent response by the psalmists throughout the book of Psalms? It seems that no matter what their situation, the psalmists find reason for praise. In fact, the concept of praise is referenced more than 140 times in the Psalms, depending on the translation of the Bible you read. Okay? And almost half of the Psalms are specific calls to praise, providing specific reasons why. Okay? We only need to page forward a couple of Psalms to see one of the most fundamental reasons for this. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That might be one of the shortest psalms in the Bible, but possibly to me one of the most profound. Okay? A critical message is conveyed here. The, rev- the very reason we praise the Lord is because of the Lord's love and faithfulness towards us. Full stop. Praise is a response to God's unchanging condition. He is love, he loves us, and his faithfulness endures forever. We can conclude then that praise has nothing to do with our own condition. It doesn't depend on our health, our job security, our wealth, our levels of stress or anxiety, feelings of happiness or sadness. Bethel Music have a beautiful song called The Reason to Praise which summarizes this very neatly. It goes like this. When I'm breaking down, you'll be working a way through. When there's no way out, this one thing I know, you are still on your throne. So whatever I'm feeling, I've still got a reason to praise you, God. Quite simply, we praise God despite our circumstances, not because of them. That is a great concept, right? But it's not easy to respond with praise when it feels like the world is crashing down around us. To do so requires an incredible amount of resilience or grit. There have been key moments in my life when this has not been my response. In intense moments of grief, pain, anger, sorrow, it's been easier to question God blame him, or even walk away. While the emotions that I've experienced in my life, the situations I've experienced in my life are a normal condition of life, the response I had to God in those moments was not helpful at all. The question is, how can we build resilience? to respond to God in an appropriate way 
even when times are tough. When things go wrong, how do we build that energy, that strength, that resilience to respond to God with praise? And I think Psalm 111 gives three practices or clues or suggestions as to how to do this. In fact, all three of those are contained in the first two verses. But let's start there. Verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. The dictionary definition of the word gratitude is the quality of being thankful or the readiness to show appreciation for or able to return kindness. So let me try that again. The quality of being thankful or the readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. You don't have to Google very hard to find a ream of scientific reasons why gratefulness is healthy. According to a study published in the Journal of Personal and Individual Differences, very interesting name, grateful people generally experience fewer aches and pains. They report feeling healthier than other people. In addition, gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions ranging from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. According to a study published in the Journal of Applied Psychology, Health and Well-Being, grateful people sleep better. For all of those of you who are struggling to sleep... A study published in the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology found that gratitude increased in athletes' self-esteem, which just happens to be one of the most key ingredients to an athlete's performance on the field. A study published in the Journal of Behavior Research and Therapy found that Vietnam War veterans with higher levels of gratitude experienced lower levels of post-traumatic stress disorder. And yet another study published in the Journal of Personal and Social Psychology found that gratitude was a major contributor to resilience following the terrorist attacks in the USA in September 11. It's no coincidence that a large majority of these findings have been published in the last 15 years. As our world gets busier and busier, we seem to be buckling under the pressure of expectations. Stress, burnout, mental health issues, anxiety, all of these are in the increase as we try and live up to expectations. Gratefulness seems to be one of the many solutions posed by modern psychology. Scripture says something more on this topic, though. When the psalmist says he will give thanks with all his heart, I think he's talking about more than that dictionary definition of gratitude. I think he's talking more about just a quality of being thankful. I think he's talking about an action. Something to be performed with intensity. More than that, his thankfulness takes a very, very specific focus. It's not this fuzzy feeling of, I'm thankful to the world. He's thankful to God. God is the direction of his thankfulness or gratefulness. It is also the reason for his thankfulness. And if we need some inspiration of things to be thankful for, the rest of Psalm 111 helps us with that too. In verse 5, we see that he provides for his people. We see that he gives food to those who fear him. In verse 6, he shows his great power to his people by giving them the lands of other nations. Think for a second in the Old Testament how relevant that would have been to the Israelites as they were freed from Egypt and looking to find a place of their own. And for us New Testament Christians, in verse 9, 
He has paid full ransom for his people. How amazing is that? The psalmist was writing something that was a foreshadow of the ultimate sacrifice that God was going to make for us. Okay? And in our lives, we can remember the full ransom that God has paid for us with his son Jesus. Just a few examples in that, in that scripture of things to be thankful for. The second practice comes from the same verse as the first, the same sentence, in fact, as I meet with his godly people. The concept and importance of community, of the people in our lives. Okay? The importance of relationship and community is emphasized throughout Scripture from the very beginning when God looked at Adam and said, it is not good for the man to be alone. He knew that man would have no chance of keeping him stuff, his stuff together without a competent wife, right? <laughs> it's the first thing in the Bible that God said was not good. In the book of Ecclesiastes, as much as Solomon points out the meaningless and futility of most things in life, specifically human pursuits, he highlights the value of companionship. Chapter 9, verse 9 to 12 reads as follows. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. In the figurative sense, the scripture is often used to describe the value of the bond between a husband and wife with God involved, right? But it works beautifully in the literal sense too. The people that are close to us in life are the ones that pick us up when we fall down. In Proverbs 27:17, we see that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Not only do we pick, it, pick each other up when we fall, but we make each other better. The early church practiced community through their regular gathering and fellowship. In Acts 2, verse 44 to 47, we see all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What do you imagine when you read the words, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved? I've always pictured masses of people accepting Jesus Christ as Lord. And that's not wrong. That's absolutely right. But I think there might be something more going on here. When I read that verse now, and I consider what these believers were doing, they were meeting together in the temple courts. They were breaking breads in their, bread in their homes. They were eating together. That image becomes much richer. Salvation, yes, is about the restoration of our individual relationship with God, but it is also an invitation into wider community, I believe. A rhythm of life that is intended to be shared with brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we move along a bit in the New Testament and we get to Hebrews, the Hebrews were facing pressure and persecution, and many of them were starting to doubt their decision to abandon Judaism and follow Christ. 
the author of the letter to the Hebrews encourages them this way. In Hebrews 10, verse 24, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And in verse 25, saying, Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All too often, when the initial excitement of a God moment fades away, or life gets busy or hard, or when things do not go our way, we begin to retreat. Sometimes it feels like God is far away from us, but most often, I think, we're far away ourselves. Interestingly, when the scriptures encourage fellowship and community, there's no distinction between personality types. I had to grapple with this one. Okay. There's no concept of strong people going it alone and weak people gathering together for help and support. Okay. There's no concept of extroverts hanging out with people because that's what they need and introverts sitting in the corner on their own. Okay. Every personality test I've done says I'm an introvert. I need alone time to recharge. And I do believe I do. Okay? I have a favorite place up in Lawrenceford Farm. There's a stream that runs there with a number of pools in it. It's under these beautiful oak trees, and I go there to fish. The mountains around me, the sun on my back, that's my spot to hide. I run away and hide there. Okay? Cell phone off, um, no one bugging me. It's my opportunity to hide from the busyness and the stress of the world and actually just speak to God and recharge myself. I am super, super selfish with that time. Anybody who enjoys fishing and wants to come fishing with me knows about this. Okay. Uh, (laughs) But the truth is, if I honestly look at my life, where things have been at their worst my darkest moments of grief and loss, confusion and pain, times when I have been beside myself or angry at God, and like I said before, ready to throw in that towel and walk away from Him because I don't understand what's going on. It's in those moments that I have been pulled out of those situations by people that are actively part of my life, people that have walked a road with me, people that know me, people that recognize in my life that something's going wrong even if I haven't said anything. It's not the people that post on my Facebook or heart my Instagram posts the most. It's not my acquaintances at work. It is the people that sit around my table at home on a regular basis and I theirs, sharing food, sharing life. The third practice is in verse 2. We see that all who delight in the Lord should ponder His amazing deeds. To ponder something is to think about that thing carefully, often before making a decision. What do we spend our time pondering? Do we ponder our jobs, our work, our commitments at home, our commitments to friends and family, stress? Do we... Ponder the economy. Lots of people ask me the economy when, when they find out what I do. Um, do we ponder politics? Do we ponder the negative stuff in the news? Yeah. What do we spend our time thinking about? It's become another focus of science. 
particularly in a field called neuroplasticity. I'm really glad I could say that. <laughs> it's a field where science are unpacking how our thoughts impact our physical brain. They've discovered that our brains physically change in response to, of, in response to what we think. Whatever we think about the most in our lives will grow. I was at the office the other day waiting to catch the lift up to the floor in which I work. And there's always a bit of an awkward moment these days when you stand in a lift lobby. Because uh, of COVID, uh, we all are requested to social distance, but you cannot in a lift. And uh, so you generally get four or five people standing around in a lift lobby. Everybody's kind of far away from each other. We're all looking at each other, and we're all ready to make that dash into the lift so that we get that lift. We don't have to wait for the next one. And there was this guy that started talking. He wasn't talking to anybody specifically. He was throwing out these comments. And I think what he was doing is he was trying to get somebody to take the bait, get somebody to engage with him. But the stuff that he was throwing out was super negative. It was, why are these lifts so slow? That's how it started. These lifts are so slow. There was one of the lifts were broken. So see, he realized one of the lifts was broken, and he went, this lift has been broken for months. They want us back at the office. We're busy trying to get back to the office. Um, why don't they fix the lift? Then that escalated to, these people waste their money all the time. They can't get anything right. Then it escalated to taxes and the fact that our money is always stolen, the fact that our politics is broken, that our country is broken, that it's so messed up. He started using quite serious expletives at that point. It occurred to me, he carried on. We got in the lift. He carried on that way all the way up. Some very interesting things happened. Not one person in that lift engaged with him. Suddenly, everybody... There are messages on my phone that are really important. I'm not going to look at this guy in the face. Getting out of that lift, it occurred to me how low that guy must feel. How negative is his life. In his, from his perspective, there is absolutely zero hope. No silver lining. Nothing to look forward to. Everything is broken and there is no way out. It also occurred to me at that time that I am so thankful that I serve a God who is greater than the mess that we see around us. So in closing, we all experience difficult emotions in life. It's a given. It's going to happen. The world is broken. But we need to respond to these emotions in a positive way, in a healthy way. We need to identify them. We need to acknowledge them rather than ignore them. We need to work through them. And yes, that's going to be tough. It is. It's difficult. But importantly, how we choose to respond in those times, and even more importantly, how we choose to respond to God in those moments is make or break. It is critical. God is always there his love and faithfulness endure forever. And we can find plenty of reason, despite where we are, to be thankful to him. In addition, our Christian family is right here. When we fall, we're never alone. That community is so important 
Invest in it. Cherish it. Love it. We are called into a rhythm of life with our family that is bigger than us. And what we choose to focus our thoughts on is also in our control. And the Lord has provided amazing things for us to remember and ponder. Things not just in our own lives, but things throughout His story that are in the Bible. Think about those things.